And if you turn uh, in your Bibles to the letter of 3 John, it's page 1230 in the Church Bibles. I don't know if you know what all these athletes uh, have in common that are on the screen. Well, there's two things uh, that they have in common that I'll point out. They might have other things as well, but they don't matter. Uh, But the first thing is that all four of them have won uh, recently the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Uh, So that you know who they are, there's uh, Jessica Ennis-Hill, there's Chris Froome, there is... um, Lewis Hamilton and Andy Murray. Now all of them, the other thing they have in common is that they are all sports stars that are in individual sports. So Jessica Ennis Hill is a, or was a, heptathlete. Lewis Hamilton, he's a racing driver in Formula One. Andy Murray plays tennis. And Chris Froome is a cyclist. All of them are individual sports stars, but if you were to interview any one of these four people, none of them would say that they would be able to win their events on their own. Each one of them has a huge team behind them for everything that they do. They have uh, coaches, they have people that massage them uh, after they've done their different events. They have people uh, who fund them, people behind the scenes that are encouraging them. There are people that prescribe uh, the medication that they need. There are people that do all sorts of uh, various jobs that help all of these athletes to be able to do really well in the individual sports. And all of them are world champions at what they do. But if they were just on their own, they wouldn't be very good at all. Just as there's no such thing as an individual sports star, really, neither is there such a thing as an individual Christian or individual gospel worker. Every Christian who is involved in any kind of Christian work, and that should be all of us, is supported prayerfully, practically, sometimes financially, and we need one another in order to serve God effectively. And that really is what 3 John, this letter, is all about. It's supporting gospel work by helping gospel workers. And in fact, it's the opposite of side of the coin to his second epistle. Because the way that 3 John asks people to help gospel workers is through the ministry of hospitality. In 2 John... John writes, asking people to stop the spread of false teaching by not being hospitable to false teachers. But as we, in a moment, will read 3 John, we'll see that he's encouraging Christians to help gospel work through being hospitable to the gospel workers that John sends their way. When we uh, talk about gospel workers, it's worth uh, just defining what uh, I mean when I'm saying that. In the case of 3 John, John's talking about missionary preachers that he is sending to churches to share the gospel. And there's a a sense that we are uh, doing the application of this letter as we support Christian missionaries 
all over the place. But gospel work goes on within the church. And in the sense that we all are commissioned to share the good news of Jesus, we are all gospel workers and we should support one another as we share the gospel with our families and our friends and our work colleagues and our neighbours and so on. So gospel work is any work, in this case, that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And just as today we need to work together against false teaching, like in 2 John, as a church we need to work together to be a part of God's plan to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. And in 3 John we see how that can either be done through, well, it can, it can either be done through being a help, or we can be a hindrance and therefore not help this great work at all. And John gives us three examples as we read his letter that I want you to look out, look out for. There's two good examples, people who help gospel work, and there's a bad example of someone who doesn't. There's three men. There is Gaius and Demetrius, who are good examples, and then there's the bad example of Diotrephes. And as we look at these three examples, John shows us how we should be working together for the truth. So let's read 3 John. Look out for these three names, Gaius, Demetrius, and Diotrephes. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are, a fa- you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is God's word. Well, as we saw in 2 John, uh, the elder is the apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, and uh, Christian tradition tells us the final uh, one to remain alive after the others had been martyred. Now, the first epistle that he writes was a circular to many churches. The second epistle was a letter to one church, 
And the third epistle is a letter to one individual person, to John's dear friend, Gaius. Well, who is Gaius? The answer is, we don't really know. There are a few Gaiuses in the Bible, but you can't point to either one of them as the definitive one that John wrote to. In fact, I've been reading that Gaius was such a popular name, it would be like coming to the UK and looking for John Smith. Whoever he was, John loved him in the truth there in verse 1, whom I love in the truth. And again, familiar language with John, as we saw in 2 John, it speaks of the special bond that we have together as followers of Jesus. As Christians, we have a unique bond together that we don't have with other, with non-Christians, with anybody else. It's a special bond in the truth that we are, we believe the same truth about Jesus and we're connected to him and therefore together. And he has a real friendship with Gaius. In verse 2, he prays for his health. He says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. It could be, as he's about to write, asking Gaius to be hospitable, that he was concerned that Gaius was well so that he could take the missionaries in his house. But more likely, it was that Gaius was a dear friend and he wanted him to be in physical good health. And it's just a, as a, a kind of a side point here that it's good that we are concerned for one another's physical well-being as well as each other's spiritual well-being. And the extent of how well John wants Gaius to be physically well is shown at the end of verse 2. He says, just as you are progressing spiritually. John wants Gaius's physical health to be as well as his spiritual health, which we're going to see is very well indeed. And Gaius, in fact, is the first example of one who helps gospel work. In Gaius, we see a generous supporter. A generous supporter. There are two ways that Gaius supports the gospel work in this letter. And again, this is familiar language in John's writing. The two ways are this. First of all, he has a testimony of truth. And then secondly, he shows love through hospitality. Truth and love. A testimony of truth and love shown through hospitality. So truth, the testimony of truth. Believers came and stayed with Gaius. And when they did, they saw this man living out the truth. He talks about being faithful to the truth. In verse 3, they testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. So when people came to Gaius' house, they saw a man there who was faithful to the truth and who walked in it. He believed it. And he lived it out. It's more here than just, you've met a man who doesn't change what he believes about Jesus. No, you've met a man who believes in Jesus, believes the truth about him, and consistently lives out godly Christian living. He obeys God's word, and people see his godly character as they come and stay at his house. Wouldn't it be lovely uh, for us to, to desire that kind of testimony? Not so that people will talk about how great we are, but so that they see Christ in us, that when they come to your house and they see your life, they would go away and say, this is a godly person. And it gives John great joy 
Look, notice in verses 3 and 4, at the beginning of verse 3, it gives me great joy. And in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And it does give great joy to Christians to see other Christians living the truth, being faithful, being an example. And as John was a pastor here, he sees one of his children, one of his spiritual children, walking in the truth, and it gives him great joy. Gaius, in other words, was a a, a pastor's dream member. Every church would love to have Gaius as their member. And faithfulness to the truth helps the gospel ministry. Think back to John's situation. We looked at this in 2 John. John is sending missionaries out all over the place. And he wants people to be hospitable to his missionaries. And John knows if he's sending someone to Gaius' house, there is a house that he is confident that people will be able to stay in and be welcomed and well looked after. We're going to see with Diotrephes shortly that he was a nightmare church member. And sin, like with Diotrephes, takes time to deal with. And it hinders John and hinders John's work as he has to deal with the sin in the life of this church member, Diotrephes. Unfaithfulness to the gospel is always a hindrance. But a person who's faithful to the truth and reliable and with a good testimony is always a great support for the gospel work. May we all be this kind of church member. If we're church members who are faithful to the truth, walking in it, consistent Christian lives, we help the ministry of this church. But if we are not faithful to the truth, then we are a hindrance to the life of the church. So Gaius helped the gospel with a testimony of truth. But secondly, he showed love through hospitality. Look at verses 5 and 6. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. The love talked about here is shown through hospitality. The faithfulness in what he is doing for the brothers and sisters is Christian hospitality. Now, hospitality actually uh, is a bit different to what you might think. When we think of hospitality... What at least uh, sometimes goes through my mind is feeding people. Okay, so if you feed people, you're hospitable. But it's more than just giving people dinner. In fact, if you are feeding people that you know, especially Christians that you know, that isn't hospitality as much as being a family. But hospitality, the actual word means uh, making a stranger a friend. So it's changing someone's status from stranger to friend. So if you have friends over for dinner, that's not the hospitality that's talked of here. This is talking about changing a status from stranger to friend. And you see that at the end of verse 5. He says, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. So these are Christians even though they are strangers 
to you. Now when someone was hospitable in Bible times, there were actual rules about the hospitality. There was rules for the guests and rules for the hosts. Now these might be familiar because I think these are kind of rules that we still kind of have today, just they're not written down. So if you're a guest at someone's home, you must never insult the host, even if the food is horrible. You must never make demands and you must never refuse food. Now I've been to some countries where that is hard, <laughs> but you, if, you're a, if you're a guest, you can't do it. If you're a host, you must never insult your guest, even if they're really annoying, you can't insult them. You must never neglect to protect their honour and you must never fail to show concern for any need that they have. Hospitality is shown in providing needs even to the detriment of your own need. If there is only enough food for, for one meal, you give it to the stranger and go hungry yourself. That's hospitality here. You would give food money, clothes, anything that's needed so that the stranger is fully refreshed and supported for the next stage of their journey. And Gaius opened his home to Christians he didn't even know, strangers. And he gave of himself to them in hospitality so that they were fully refreshed and supported for their work in sharing the gospel. And in fact, all Christians are called to be hospitable. Here's just a few uh, verses from, uh, from the New Testament. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. It just teaches us, practice hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without Grumbling. Now, some Christians perhaps may feel they are gifted at hospitality. Some Christians perhaps don't feel gifted at it, but we're all commanded to be hospitable. And the preachers that John was sending out in these days were reliant upon this hospitality. They couldn't do their gospel work without the hospitality that was provided by the people. And Gaius excelled in providing this. And they reported back to John. It says in verse 6, they have told the church about your love. So they came back and they gave a report to the church of how great hospitality at Gaius' house was. If, they were, if there was TripAdvisor on, uh, around on the day, it would have got the top marks at Gaius' house. Go stay there. It's a great place to stay. And John encourages Gaius at the end of verse 6 to continue in this work. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. What does, what does it mean to, to be hospitable in a manner that honours God? Well, when he says to send them on their way, remember, hospitality is providing what's needed to refresh them and send them on the next part of their journey. That's what this hospitality means. So when he says send them on their way, he says when they leave your house, may they leave in a manner that honours God. That means basically generosity. Because in a manner that honours God is God-like, isn't it? And when God provides for us, he does so abundantly. He does so in a way that is rich in kindness. 
And we ought to be the same. This generosity is especially to be shown, in this case, to the workers and missionaries that John sends on to, to Gaius' house. Well, why is it that, that, that Gaius was to be hospitable in this uber-generous way to these missionaries that John was sending? Well, the answer is given, actually, in verses 7 and 8. See if you can pick out some of the reasons why Gaius was supposed to be this way. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So notice the three reasons there that why Christians must be generous in giving to gospel work. Number one, they went out for the sake of the name. What is the name? The name is Jesus Christ and all that Jesus teaches. In other words, these people are serving Jesus Christ in spreading the gospel. They're representing him, a worthy cause to give to. Secondly, they receive no help from pagans. Uh, pagans is the, the translation given here. Um, I always find pagans quite a harsh word. Uh, really, the word is non-believers, unbelievers, people that aren't Christians. And in one sense, this means that unbelievers are unlikely to give to gospel work. So where else are they going to get their money from? Where else are they going to be provided for if it's not from Christians? But there's another sense of this as well, in that workers who are serving Jesus and sharing the gospel should never be asking for money from unbelievers. At 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul writes about not peddling the word of God for profit. And so the workers uh, here weren't going to be asking unbelievers for money, in part because they didn't want to be seen or thought of as peddling the word of God for profit. And that's why as a church, by the way, when we have a specific evangelistic service, for example, uh, a Christmas carol service, we don't have an offering just so that we can be sure that people don't think we're asking them for money. We share the gospel to make disciples, not to make money. The giving is expected from the Christians to help the work of the gospel. So, for the sake of the name, no help from pagans. And the third reason given why Christians should be generous is that we work together with them. Look at the end there of uh, verse 8. So that we work together for the truth. As Gaius showed hospitality, he was working together with the missionaries. He was working with them in sharing the truth as he helped them. It's exactly the same principle as 2 John, verse 11. In 2 John, uh, verse 11, uh, uh, 2 John writes, that, uh, John, sorry, John writes, if you are helping uh, false teachers by giving them hospitality, you share in their wicked work. Well, the same is true in the sense of Christian work here. If you share in the work of helping be hospitality to Christians, you are sharing in gospel work. And that's the kind of work we want to be involved in, or at least it should be. As a church, we support various missionaries and mission organizations, and we work with them as we do so. We take part in taking the gospel to the nations as we support the missions that we do as a church. And may, as a church, we always be generous in giving to the missions that we do. 
In fact, Jesus uh, Christ said that anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. When we support gospel workers, we welcome Jesus Christ himself. Now, as we can apply this uh, easily as a church, can't we? Of course, we need to support the missions. We need to support gospel workers. But as individuals, there are applications here too. First of all, I mean, we need to fulfill this ministry of hospitality. Now, if all of our missionaries came to our church at the same time, there would be more homes than missionaries. But people in the church need to be hospitable, not just to missionaries, but to people in the community that we live in and people in the church that we don't even know. Now, some people might think, well, I'm not very good at hospitality. But Christians have a duty to be hospitable. But this doesn't mean that we all need to put on a huge banquet all the time. Hospitality can be having a coffee. Hospitality can be providing for a practical need. Hospitality is making a stranger a friend. And there's lots of ways you can do that that doesn't even involve food. We, in other words, need to use our resources to refresh and supply the needs of others. Perhaps as people, even within our membership, as you look through the new prayer diary that you don't even know, why not get together and share about Jesus and what he's doing in your life and encourage one another? Maybe you can invite a neighbor that you don't even know and have coffee with them. Why don't we look for strangers that we can make friends and extend hospitality as Christians to them? But there's also application for our individual giving. Gaius shows us that we are called to give generously to gospel work, but also in this letter I think we see that we should give wisely as well. As we consider where to give our money, a wise principle is to give to your local church, but also to give to gospel-focused works that will not receive support, as John writes, from pagans. Gaius is a good example. Gaius is a pastor's dream. But in a church, there is a kind of pastor's nightmare here as well. If Gaius was a generous supporter, meet Diotrephes, a glory-grabbing hindrance. Look at verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. The key phrase about Diotrephes is in verse uh, 9. He loves to be first. He loves to be first. Diotrephes wanted glory for himself. And in fact, the, the, the Greek word behind being first is only found in one other place in the New Testament. And that's in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 18, where Christ is said, in everything he might have the supremacy. The word is supremacy. In other words, Diotrephes was competing with Jesus. 
He wanted to be first, not just in his church. Diotrephes wanted to be supreme over everything. He had personal ambition. He was, he wanted all the glory for himself. He was a nightmare church member. John says that he will not welcome us. In other words, that means he wants nothing to do with John, the apostle, or the people John sends his way. He rejects John's apostolic authority, and he, he, he doesn't want anything to do with him. And in this culture, if you refused one that John sends, it was the same as refusing John himself. Diotrephes was shaming John. And John says that he would call attention to what he is doing. In other words, John was, is going to come and John is going to deal with this problem himself. Now, can you see how this is a hindrance to the gospel work? There's lots of things John could be doing, but he's got to go to this church so that he can sort Diotrephes out. The New Testament doesn't tell us how John got on with doing this. We don't know. Maybe Diotrephes repented. We just don't know what happened. But in here, we see a glory-grabbing hindrance. And this glory-grabbing is shown in four different ways. Look at the four ways he wants to, to have glory for himself. First of all, uh, in verse, t- uh, verse 10, uh, he spreads malicious nonsense about us. Malicious nonsense is gossip and lies. No doubt to make diatrophies look good. Whenever somebody gossips, it is always with the intention of making themselves look better than the person they're gossiping about. No one gossips so that the other person looks really good. Oh, have you seen what a great Christian they are? That's not gossip, is it? No one does that. People gossip so that they look good. And that's what uh, Diotrephes was doing. He was just spreading nonsense, rubbish about John and the missionaries that John sends so that he looks good and they look bad. Then it says he refuses to welcome other believers. He disobeys John's command of welcoming others and instead gives them the cold shoulder, is unkind, and he just gives the vibe that someone is not wanted which is what Diotrephes did want. Because if a missionary would come and share the gospel, they might make Diotrephes look bad. And then he stops others welcoming as well. He stops others doing it. He causes others to to walk in sinful behavior because John commanded a welcoming of his missionaries and Diotrephes is encouraging others not to welcome them. If someone wants to grab glory, they want to take others with them as well. And then finally, he puts them out of the church if they do welcome other believers. So if they do obey John, Diotrephes puts them out. He excommunicates them. If you, if you, if you, if you go against me, you're out. It's a misuse of power. And all of these things hinder gospel work. Gossip takes the focus off of God and his word and onto the supposed faults of somebody else. Not welcoming. Well, people aren't going to stay in a church that doesn't welcome people, are they? Leading others to disobey. It ruins the testimony and integrity of a church. And misuse of power drives people away and causes untold damage. And all of these sins are fruits of wanting to be first. And so John tells Gaius in verse 11, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil 
but what is good. In other words, don't imitate Diotrephes, which might be easy to do because he seems a very powerful character. Rather, imitate what is good. And good is how Gaius has been living, walking in truth and love. In fact, Diotrephes' behavior is so bad, he questions whether Diotrephes is a Christian at all. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, anyone uh, who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil is not, has not seen God. Diotrephes is such a glory-grabbing heretic, there's no way that this guy could be a Christian. He hasn't seen God, because if you see God, you don't want to grab the glory yourself. You want to give the glory to the God whom you are beholding. Faith in Jesus Christ impacts our behavior. And consistent conduct like Diotrephes that is not repented of is a sign that you have not seen God. This isn't a one-off sin that Diotrephes has committed. This is walking in evil continually. And for us in our lives, is there some repenting that needs to be doing in the area of supremacy? Do you love to be first? Are you happy behind the scenes or are you wanting to be seen by everybody else? Can you admit when you're wrong or do you always have to defend yourself even when you are wrong? Be careful. Loving to be first is a slippery slope that leads to gossip, disobedience, factions and misuse of power. Anyone who wants to lead must first be a humble follower of Jesus. Let us be members who humbly and lovingly serve one another, striving not for applause from people, but for a heavenly reward from our Father who sees in secret. So we have Gaius, the generous supporter, Diotrephes, the glory-grabbing hindrance, and the final name is Demetrius. Well, like Gaius, it's unlikely that this Demetrius was the same as another one in scripture, but we don't know. He's likely to be the one who is carrying the letter. And the one, therefore, that John is sending to perhaps proclaim the gospel. If so, we've got Gaius who gives hospitality, Diotrephes who refuses it, and Demetrius who receives it. As John sends Demetrius to Gaius' home, Gaius can be sure he has a good guest, Because Demetrius is a man with a godly testimony. Look at verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. Notice a threefold testimony that Demetrius has here. First of all, he's well spoken of. So in other words, if you asked other people, do you know Demetrius? Have you ever met him? They would say, oh, I know Demetrius. He's a really good guy. He's a godly man. He, he follows Jesus. He practices what he preaches. He's well spoken of. Secondly, he's well spoken of, it says, by the truth itself. Well, what, what does that mean? It means that the truth of the word matches up or is a mirror image of the life that he's leading. If you read the truth of scripture and you look at Demetrius, you'll see that these two things marry up. And finally, he's well spoken of by John and John's fellow workers, the church leaders. He has a good reference from his pastor. This is a good testimony, isn't it? Gaius knows that he is supporting the gospel by receiving Demetrius, 
Because he's receiving a man with a good testimony. And a good testimony is a great support for the gospel, isn't it? To be known in your workplace or your school or your home or your community as one who lives out what they believe is a great witness to a watching world. And it's a challenge if we examine ourselves in the light of these three areas, isn't it? Demetrius was talked of like this. He was a man who was well spoken of. He was a man who lived the truth. He was a man who in the church was known as a godly man as well. Outside and inside and in the Bible. And the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what would other people say about your character in your workplace or in your home? What would they, what would they say? Would you be well spoken of? As you read the Bible, and the Bible's talked of in James as a mirror, isn't it? What do you see as you read it? And what about in the church? What what does the church members think about you? not, Not that we need to be people pleasers, but we need to be good examples and good testimonies to one another, don't we? Now, I'm sure if we ask ourselves these questions, all of us will have areas of failure. I certainly do. But may that be a motivation for us to make the changes needed to live holy lives to a watching world who don't just hear the gospel from our lips, but see it in our lives. There's possibly no greater hindrance to the gospel than Christians who speak the truth, but don't live it out. Well, there's a similar conclusion to this letter as Uh, There is in 2 John. He wants to to speak face to face with Gaius. Uh, Note how he greets his friends. They are, uh, you you get the sense here, a real band of brothers and sisters working together for this, this great cause of the gospel. And the call John gives, really, in both of these letters, if you were to combine them, is to support the work of the gospel by supporting those God sends to be involved. And as we support gospel work through hospitality and through through generosity, we do so in the light of God's generosity to us. Because God has made strangers his friends, hasn't he? We were aliens and strangers to God. We were were, uh, far away from him. We were his enemies. And Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have a home in heaven forever. And we're shown hospitality by God that is beyond measure, aren't we? If hospitality is being refreshed and supplied for the journey ahead, the Lord does that in abundance for us. He sends us the Holy Spirit, which refreshes and supplies us this side of heaven to walk with God, And when this life is over, these strangers who have become God's friends will have a home in heaven with him for all eternity. We have been shown generosity that is beyond anything we could ever give. And so may we, in the same way as our God does to us, show generosity to others and make strangers friends. And may we support those who do the same. Well, we're going to close uh, with a final song, a call for us as a church uh, to awake and remember that our God reigns. So let's stand as we...
Sing our final song, Awake, Awake, O Zion.